glad that you're uh, here with us. Um, <laughs> we, got, we got fun coming up here. It's, it's, it's happening. Fun things coming up. Uh, we, if you weren't with us last week, which that's, a, that's most of you, uh, if you weren't uh, with us last week, we started a brand new series without you uh, called Our Boring Summer Vacation. Uh, for the next uh, few weeks in July, we're talking about you know, if you came back to work in September, if you went back to school and they asked you to write about your vacation, you might say these boring answers. Like, uh, I binge watched and scrolled myself to death is what we talked about last week. This week we're talking about I had no time for fun. Uh, we're also throughout the, the summer and throughout July asking you to be a part of this campaign, this initiative called Look Up, uh, because I shared some pretty sad statistics last week about our screen time. Uh, being, anybody remember what, how many hours people spend on their phone a day, average American? Seven hours and four minutes, bury it in your heart, <laughs> uh, has a darkness that you need to recover from. Uh, I'll tell you, we've doing this campaign, so if you go out to the information desk, they have all kinds of information, because we don't want to just, like, stop looking at screens. We want to, like, fill our lives with goodness and beauty and truth and community, so the things we're going to our phones sometimes to look for, or we're going to Netflix to look for, we want to try to find in the 3D uh, world. So we're going to invite you all summer. There's service opportunities. There's get-togethers. This week, Southbrook Kids had a special hangout. Uh, it has a kids' clubhouse thing. Uh, there's a calendar out at the info desk. You can also look it up online. It's just southbrook.com slash look up. Uh, there's a QR code out there that you can see what's on the calendar and join us in service and in sacred things and in just being together a little bit more this summer. I, I challenged myself. I didn't challenge you all because that seemed risky, but you're welcome to join with me. I am trying every week uh, this month to get my screen time down. And I got my report right before the service, and it's down 31%, uh, which means I don't know if there's anywhere for me to go. That's the truth. I think that's as, about as good as I can do. I think I did it in the first week, so mission accomplished. Uh, I tr I've been also trying to go like a screenless Saturday, which is harder than you think it's going to be. Because uh, you think, oh, I'm going to read a book. Well, my book is, a lot of them are on the iPad, and that's a screen. And I try to go for a run. A lot of my, I always listen to podcasts, and I use a bunch of apps to track. So it's very hard to have a screenless day. So I didn't quite get there. Uh, but I did have a couple hours where I was not doing this, right? That's our goal is to just look up uh, a little bit more. So hopefully that will happen uh, in your family and in your friend group. We try to give you ideas to fill all that space. So join us uh, in looking up. And we are talking about boredom uh, in this series. Part of the, the reason I always think uh, boredom is an important thing to talk about, and we talked about this last week, is that when we say we're bored, uh, sometimes we're saying that because it's easier to say that than to say, I'm not sure what any of this means anymore. Right? And there's a sense of despair that can creep in sometimes. And so when we say we're bored, it's actually because we're just not even paying attention to our own life. And uh, the reason this has always been something that I wondered about is because when I was in, uh, I call it God school, it was seminary. When I was in God school one day, I decided to go to the library and play library roulette, like book roulette, because we're going to talk about fun, and I know how to have a good time. Uh, so I go to the library, and I play book roulette, because that's wild. Uh, so I was in the middle of like a faith crisis. I think I've, I've told this story uh, here before, uh, but I was in this faith crisis and I was in surrounded by all this wisdom and books and all that stuff, but none of it was making any sense. And, and I might've called it boredom, but what it really was is I had kind of lost all meaning and connection. And I just felt like a blank slate. Like I didn't, nothing felt 
real or meaningful to me. And so I was going through the library and I pull off this book off the shelf. Uh, you can see it's not very big, that's why. This is, a, this is a library of big books, so I pulled this one off. I'd never read, this is by a guy named Frederick Beekner. He's become like my lifeline, but I'd never read him before. And I, I opened the book up and I just played roulette, um, put 10 bucks on this page, and I opened it up and it said, uh, to be bored is to turn down cold whatever life happens to be offering you at the moment. It is to cast a jaundiced eye at life in general, including, most of all, your own life. You feel nothing is worth getting excited about because you are yourself not worth getting excited about. To be bored, this is what got me, is a way of making the least of things you often have a sneaking suspicion you need the most. And uh, that sentence got me uh, pretty good. And I sat down and read the rest of the book because it wasn't very long. And uh, by the time I left the library, I felt uh, a little more alive. And I'll be honest, one of the things that I was feeling in God's school was that theology and studying scripture and all that stuff had nothing to do with real life is what I felt like. I felt like it was all kind of an escape. Like I might as well have been in the Marvel universe. Like it didn't feel real to me at that time. And then I read this book and it was all about theology and who God is, but it had that like way of cutting through the human experience that I had never, never really read before. And I thought, oh, maybe, maybe all this does have to do with real life. And so as we go into this, I just want us to think about what might you answer at the end of this summer and how could we change that answer together, right? And this week we're taking on, what if you get to the end of this summer and you say, I had no time for fun? Anybody feel like you're moving towards that answer? I have no time for fun, right? And maybe you don't want to say it out loud because you want to look like you're having a pretty good time. Uh, I don't know what the answer might be. I just want us to take a look at fun today. Because when we look back, fun is often something that we used to take pretty seriously. Uh, part of why this series came up is because we were just talking about what if we did series that were based, that were aimed towards kids, and kids very often say, I'm bored, right? That's like a thing they say. We talked about that last week. What I think is funny about that is that when we look back on our childhood, we don't remember ever saying we were bored, right? We just remember all the fun stuff, but I bet if you were to call your parents or your grandparents up, they'd tell you, oh no, you said it all the time, right? But as kids, we take it very seriously that life should be fun. There is an impulse in us. There is a crying out that we feel that this life should be loaded up with newness and adventure and joy and goodness and fun. And I just want to say, parents, as annoying as that could be, maybe that's also valuable and good. That something in us says there ought to be some joy about this place. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I used to remember how to do that. And I, at some point, have kind of forgotten it. And there's good reasons sometimes why we forget it. But I just want to share with you one of my methods when I was younger. Uh, and this is like high school through college through, I don't know, it's just a few years ago that I stopped doing it. But I used to, in my car, keep a trunk of fun. And this is just what I used to do. And anytime I, we were like, there was dull time, Again, this is before smartphones, so what are you going to do? Now I just play Candy Crush, so I don't need the Trunk of Fun anymore. But I used to keep a Trunk of Fun, so I wanted to just 
uh, have the spirit of that uh, here today. Uh, so I used to keep all kinds of things in there, like weird toys I used to keep in there. This is a weird toy uh, that I got at Target, and uh, I was going to give this. Does anybody want a flat ball? Anybody? This is real. You can see how fun that is? Um, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to somebody. I see some. There we go. The, oh, the fun of it is that it's supposed to turn into a ball uh, when you throw it. You'll have to let me know if that, I could not get it to work. If there's a jump rope, I used to keep one of these in the trunk of my car. Anybody want a jump rope? Yeah, it's not, it's from the $1.99 at Target. Uh, uh, you're welcome. Um, this is, uh, we just call this highlight. I always used to keep this. It's like a, this is also uh, from the super expensive rack. I see some hands back there. Come up and you're right there with your hand. Yeah, you standing up, you get this. That's yours, but um, I have to, st <laughs> I don't want, this is the boring series. We can't have lawsuits. <laughs> there is uh, anybody with this is a soft. I see a gentleman right there. There you go. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, also in my trunk of fun, I'm not giving this away. Sorry, that was a trick. Uh, this is a vintage skateboard uh, from the late 80s, early 90s. This was my actual skateboard. And I kept it in my trunk long past my skateboard riding days because any moment uh, when I just had a dull day or we were all at the park, or it was like we had studied too much, I would get out the trunk of fun. And uh, one day, I've told this story before, but uh, you, you guys don't remember things we say up here. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I was in college, and I went to college in Tennessee where they have big giant hills. And one night we were studying for a big test and I was done and I needed fun, right? I needed, I was bored studying, you know, art history or philosophy or whatever boring thing they were trying to get us to learn. And so I got out my skateboard that I have had since the seventh grade or so. And uh, again, remember this is in Tennessee. If you've been there, it's not the flattest place. And the campus had this big hill in the middle of it uh, that you would, on a regular day, you would just kind of sit at the bottom of that hill and hope somebody came along and gave you a ride. Uh, it was a very big hill. But that night, I decided I'm going to take the hill. And I get this skateboard out, and I get on it, and I start going down the hill, and my legs start shaking because physics. And there, it turns out there's a speed bump in the middle of the hill, which I had not factored in. And I made it over the speed bump, but when I got to the bottom of the hill, I didn't, I was going so fast that I couldn't make the turn into more driveway. And so I went into grass. And it, I don't know if you're a scientist, uh, but one of the things that happens when you're going down a, speeding down a hill on a skateboard and it hits grass is that the skateboard stops. But the person doesn't stop. And so I went flying like Superman into a, a, just a bunch of bushes. Uh, and since we're talking about fun, I should say everybody who was with me that night had a really good time. And I should also say, it was an alcohol-free campus. Uh, that's just important to know. I did this as a sober person. Um, and you should also know, if you went to Milligan College in Tennessee, there is a sign uh, posted there that says, no skateboarding on this hill. <laughs> I did not get hurt, uh, but I did come over with a story. And one of the fun things about it is that I will often, I'll go back to campus and I'll stand at the top of that hill and I'll just think, who was that person? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, who was that person that demanded life should 
be a good time and I should just try things sometimes. And there's a part of me that is glad she made it this far, but another part of me that, that misses that. Uh, I have, I don't know if you ever see them, I don't know if you're a person who believes in tattoos. If you don't, uh, my tattoos are all really sad. So when people get mad that I have them, I just say, well, they're, I tell them why they're there and they're so sad they can't be mad at me. Um, <laughs> So I have this one that's in the worst place because the only way I can show it is to do like the, like a muscle pose, which is not great. But uh, this is a tree uh, from my parents' backyard. And after they passed away and I had to sell their house, I thought, well, I can't, I can't lose everything. I have to take the tree with me. And the only way I could do that was like this because it's very big. It wouldn't fit in my trunk of fun. And so... I have it there, this tree, and it's in my perspective, so I can see it. And I got it just to carry them with me, right? Like to remember what I gained from them and from that home and, and from the tree. But what's interesting about this tree is that I used to, as a little kid, climb to the top of it. Anybody used to climb trees? And now you look at trees and think, huh, that's weird that I used to think that I should get to the top of that tree, right? Because what happens is like fear settles in, right? Reality settles in. My, I have a friend, Tiffany, who who also fell out of this tree. Uh, so it's not all good, right? But I look at it, and what it was supposed to remind me of is my home, and it does that. But every once in a while, I look down at it, and I think, oh, I used to. I used to be more fun, right? I used, to, I used to see a tree and think I could conquer it. I used to sit up there. It was a good two stories high, and I would, like, take books up to the top of the tree and just hang out up there. Uh, we have to remember fun because we get worse at it. Uh, as we get older. Life gets serious. And honestly, these stories I'm telling are about not being afraid of losing control, right? And if, if we don't all know at the end of these two and a half years that we have some control issues, uh, we haven't been paying attention, right? Because as we get older, we don't want to lose control because life is serious. Now, I don't know if somebody asked how life was going, if you would say it's boring or not, but I do know that a lot of us, our default answer to how life is going is busy. Anybody ever just answer busy? And then you think, is that, am I busy? I don't know, I just said it. And sometimes our answer to how we're doing when we say busy is really true, right? We're really, we're busy. We're overscheduled, we have too many things to do, we're maintaining life and and that takes more than we ever thought it would imagine when we were in the backyard as little kids. And sometimes it's just because we think busy translates to important. And so we say, I'm, I'm busy. And so at the end of the summer, we say, I didn't really have any, I didn't really have any time for fun. Now, uh, I've been reading this book uh, by Susan Cain. It's called Bittersweet. If you are a person prone uh, to sadness, I highly recommend it. It's called Bittersweet. And in her book, she does this thing where she goes and interviews a bunch of students at Princeton. And she says she was worried. She didn't know if college students would really tell her the truth about how they were doing or feeling. She was just trying to, like, get, a, get into what college students, like, how they feel about themselves and about the world. And she says that uh, right away they just were very open to telling her how they were feeling and answering all her questions she said this recurring theme kept showing up in college students, which I can't believe because I was just flying down tree, you know, mountains and stuff when I was in college. But so all these college kids kept coming up with this same idea that she called effortless perfection. 
that all of them were trying to make life look easy while it was actually really hard. And the phrase she used that I think is maybe true for some of us as adults here today is that we are chasing after effortless perfection. Now, I had this uh, professor at God School. Again, I've, I've said this before, but it's so important to me, and I feel like it's worth saying out loud all the time. He said there are two ways to show that you trust God. And I hope these answers kind of surprise you a little bit, but he said two ways to show that you trust God. One is to rest, and two is to play. And I just want us to hear that this July. There are lots of reasons to play. You know, we can, we can study brain health and talk about that again. We've, we've been trying to, like, tap into that, what that has to teach us about being people. One of the things it teaches us is that play is good for us. We know this in kids, that they learn about the world through play. Uh, I just want to say, if you're parents, uh, I know this may seem counterintuitive because you think your job is to get them to have fun, uh, but I promise you they need to see you laugh and enjoy life too. They won't admit it till they're after 30 but they need to see you laugh and have a good time. And I just, if you need that permission slip, I'll, I'll come sign it uh, after the service. I just wanna give that to you. I, I want us today to just think about what it would look like if we took fun seriously. Because I think that a part of our call of living our life with God is to take fun seriously. Uh, Frederick Buechner, who wrote this, this book that saved my life on that day and who I, I played roulette with, uh, he has another book where he talks about the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus, and he says that it is tragedy, a comedy, and a fairy tale. He says if you were going to really tell the story of Jesus, you would have to do all things. You'd have to bring some sadness into it. The good news is always bad news before it's good news. You'd have to tell kind of a tragedy. And he says the tragedy is the inevitable part of life, right? It's the thing that, that stops us from having fun, that life is hard, that bad things happen, the horrible, awful, grieving things happen. He says that the gospel of good news, what it's like to be on the earth and live with God is sometimes a tragedy. But he says it's also sometimes a comedy. And what he means by that, he says tragedy is the inevitable, but comedy is the unforeseeable. It's the thing you don't see coming, right? When we think about what's funny to us, very often it's something that surprises us, right? The very first pie in the face was probably very funny because nobody saw that coming. You don't think of a pie in the face, right? It gets less funny when you, we now know about the pie in the face. The first time you watch The Office and Michael Scott says, I'm not superstitious, I'm a little stitious. That's funny because you don't expect it. The 17th time you watch The Office, still, it's a little funny, <laughs> but it's not as funny as that first time. Two men walked into a bar but the third one ducked, right? You got to think about it. But eventually, on Tuesday, that'll be funny to you because you didn't see it coming, right? This is why people falling is a little bit funny. I'm, I'm not, I mean, not to me because I just care about them, but people falling, sometimes that's funniest to, to other people. I bet... If we were to go around and we just start over here and tell me what's the funniest thing you've ever seen, I bet a lot of our answers, the time when you have laughed the hardest was the time when you were probably not supposed to be laughing. Right? It's at the funeral home. 
It's in the hospital. Something serious is happening. And you are not supposed to be laughing. And that's when it is the funniest thing. Right? Comedy is about the unforeseeable. And so I want us to think about fun in the story of God. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is just because it's just a little bit funny. Uh, there's a story in Acts where Simon Peter has been in prison. Uh, he gets thrown in prison for telling people about the gospel uh, and how it's a comedy and a tragedy and it's a fairy tale. It's, it's too good to not be true. And, and he tells all the people about the story of Jesus and every once in a while that gets him thrown in prison. And so there's this one story in Acts where Simon Peter's been in prison for telling the story of Jesus. And he gets released from prison unharmed this time. And he goes to where a bunch of Jesus folks are meeting at somebody's house. And he knocks on the door and it says that this servant named Rhoda, which Rhoda, that's funny. Uh, she comes, she answers the door, she sees that it's Simon Peter, and she gets so excited that she closes the door in his face and leaves him standing on the front porch, right? Like, that's a pretty funny story for Bible times. Uh, that's, that's classic comedy right there. You don't see that coming, but Luke wanted us to know sometimes along the way as they were, like, being persecuted for the gospel that sometimes something funny happened, and they probably laughed harder because they weren't supposed to. Every once in a while in the Bible, there's all kinds of wordplay. Uh, the problem with it is that you have to go learn uh, Hebrew and Greek uh, to understand the wordplay. But I promise you that it's there. If you were to go learn Hebrew and, and Aramaic and Greek and all the languages that show up in Scripture, uh, you would find out that there's all kinds of wordplay. There's times where they use puns. If you're a punny person, uh, then you would love the Bible in Hebrew and Greek. Uh, one of the, the funny puns, I don't know, you probably know this phrase from, from Jesus where he's talking about entering the kingdom of heaven, and he says it's, it would be easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than to get a wealthy person into the kingdom of heaven, which is already, I mean, it's not ha-ha funny, but it's one of those where you go, good one, Jesus, right? You ever know those? My dad was one of those people, he wouldn't laugh, he would just say, mm, good one, right? And that's kind of that, from Jesus, that's kind of a good one, Jesus, camel, needle, that's crazy. But what's even funnier is if you knew the original language is that the word for camel is very close to the word for rope. And so Jesus, he's being double funny there. But it gets lost in translation to us. One of the fastest things to change is humor, right? What was funny on Twitter or Facebook yesterday is not as funny anymore. What was funny when you liked the Leave It to Beaver show is not as funny to your kids or your grandkids or your great-grandkids anymore, right? Like, it, it, comedy changes, and so it gets lost in translation. I don't know if you know this, but I was looking up wordplay in the Bible this week, and it said that Eve, it, her name could mean mother of life, or it could mean mother of all ribs, <laughs> right? Like, not Chili's ribs, but like, you know, mother of the rib, right? Or it could mean the mother of all life. There's wordplay in there. Some of the storylines in scripture, the funniness, it's not like ha-ha funny, but it is good one, funny. Because it's not what you expect. The most important details of some of the story are times when people laughed at a time when you wouldn't expect them to be laughing. Like when Abraham and Sarah find out they're gonna have a kid, but they're in their 90s. That's, if you're at that doctor's appointment, you're gonna laugh. And they do. It says they laugh. In fact, they name their kid laughter because it's hilarious to have a kid in your 90s. Uh, there's a whole city that falls down because of a marching band. 
I want you to imagine like a marching band, like going to downtown city and just walking around and the whole city of Cincinnati falling because a marching band played Let's Go Snoopy, like just a little too loud. Or Snoopy, hang on, Snoopy, what is it? I forgot all of a sudden. Uh, David, the story of David like defeating Goliath, that's, it's not ha-ha funny, but it's a good one. The idea that the littlest, scruffiest kid on the playground takes out the giant. Like, it's not ha-ha funny, but it's unexpected. It's a comedy. A lot of Jesus' stories, even the arrival of Jesus, if you think about it's Christmas in July, right? That's what Hallmark tells me. If you think about Christmas in July, Christmas, Christmas is cosmically funny. It, it's a wink. It is, it is a joke that God would show up with a poor young woman as his mother and a poor young carpenter as his dad. It's a wink that God didn't show up the old-fashioned way, right? It's funny. It's unexpected. The inclusion of shepherds and magi, everything about the Christmas story is not what anybody would have imagined or seen coming. It is a pie in the face. A lot of the stories Jesus tells, you don't even have to know the other languages to get that it's kind of absurd. The idea of a shepherd who would leave 99 sheep in a field to chase after just the one wild sheep that can't get it together. That is a little bit. It's not ha-ha funny, but it's a good one. The idea that heaven is a party where all the important people have somewhere better to be that night. And that the only people who show up to the party are the ones who are hurting, the ones who are disabled, the ones who are poor, the ones who have been cast out of every other party they've tried to get into. The idea that that's who's invited to God's party, it's funny. It's unexpected. It's unforeseeable. And it just keeps getting funnier because you're invited to I don't know if you've thought about that, but it's a little funny. Not ha-ha funny, but it's a good one. Because God has the nerve to love you. God has the nerve to see in you the impossible. I want us to, to hang out just a little bit longer in Colossians 3. If you're looking for something to do this week, uh, other than you're trying to get your screen time down and be cool like me, uh, you could open up Colossians 3 and hang out there a little bit. This is what it says in verse 5. Uh, Paul, who, by the way, <laughs> used to kill people, which is a little bit funny that he wrote a lot of the Bible. It's not ha-ha funny, according to you, but it's, <laughs> it's funny. Paul who used to kill Christians, is now trying to make more of them. Not so he can kill them, but so he can encourage them. And he makes this long list in Colossians 3. He starts with a list that says, put to death. And then he makes this list. Put to death, he says, fornication, impurity, passion, evil, desire, greed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language, and lying. And he says, instead, as God's beloved, put this on. Put this to life in you. Compassion, kindness, 
humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace of Christ, and thankfulness. This is wild. That God believes that that list is possible for us. If we, can we put it up there again? I want to just be up there just a little bit longer. I just want us to look at this. Right? Because maybe you think, I, I kind of really like my anger. I'd really rather be clothed in anger than compassion. Or maybe you think, it's easier to walk through the world with slander. It's easier in my office if I have slander than if I have kindness. It's easier to walk through the world if I have greed than if I have thankfulness. This is a funny invitation. But when I look at this list, what I see in the put-to-life side is a winsomeness, a lightness, a way of moving through the world where you have more time for fun because you have less time holding grudges, getting mad, holding on to your stuff. The idea that we could go from that list to that list, it's almost comical. But God believes that it's possible and that there are high stakes in us moving from death to life. Uh, Susan Cain, in her bittersweet book, she has this other section where she talks about another researcher who interviewed a bunch of older folks and was starting to see this pattern that uh, older folks were happier than younger folks. Maybe because they had grown out of that effortless perfection phase. But she says it's because they over and over again tried to express what she thought fit into just one word. And the one word that she thought described why older people were happier than younger people and had more fun was poignancy. That older folks understood that to, to have fun in your life, to have room for a trunk of fun, to manufacture fun and joy in your life, to make room for them in your family and in your home, to go from death to life, uh, she understood that, that you don't do that because life has suddenly gotten easier, you do it because you have to, to survive. The joy shows up in unexpected places. What we mean by poignancy is happy and sad at the same time. That you don't have to wait until all the serious things are dealt with to have fun. Uh, I got to hear a, a gentleman named John Perkins several years ago. He's been a civil rights activist for, he's in his 90s, I think, and for most of his life, he's been trying to work to fight racism in the world. And one of the things he said that surprised me, like I wanted to laugh when I wasn't supposed to laugh because it was so unexpected. He said that the work uh, of reconciling the races and of fighting racism, he said it's supposed to be the work of joy. That when we put off heavy things and when we put, off, put on life things, that maybe it takes a lot of work, he says, but it is the work of joy. It should feel like zooming down a hill to do the hard work of putting these things to death in us. And there should be a lightness that comes when we become more like Jesus. Maybe you think you don't have time for fun. And I would just say this morning, I think we don't have time to not have fun. That at least one of the calls to look up this summer is to call us to let joy in, to let God surprise us to let the hard work uh, bring joy to us, 
to put to death what is in us that is not of God and to return to our own origin story and to what we were made for. We're gonna pray together and then we're gonna sing one more song out loud to seal it into our hearts to let the kingdom of God in among us. So let's pray. God, we think right now of some moment where the world felt a little lighter to us. We think of some moment when we laughed, when we played, when we felt held enough to let go of control. God, we thank you that sometimes the piano plays when we don't expect it. God, help us to let your grace in and let it lighten us up this day. Let's stand and sing.